Andre Pollard was built for World Cups. By the time he was 21, he'd already starred in three Junior World Cups for the Baby Box. Five years later, he scored 22 points in the World Cup final as the Springboks romped to a third World Cup victory. Four years after that, he wasn't in the original squad to defend South Africa's title in France due to a calf injury, but joined the team later in the tournament in dramatic circumstances. Pollard's kicking in the final was nothing short of a masterclass, as the Springboks won the World Cup yet again. From ordinary beginnings in small-town South Africa to the biggest stage in rugby, this is the untold story of the best kicker in the world. Welcome to The Luke Alfred Show. I have 30 years of experience on the front lines of sports journalism, covering some of the biggest games in cricket, rugby, the FIFA World Cup, and even the Olympic Games. Come and join me as we learn about some of the greatest sports stories you've never heard. I'm Luke Alfred, and welcome to the show. Our story this week begins in Uppington in the Northern Cape. Uppington, for the uninitiated, is a remote, dusty town, most famous for being a remote, dusty town, when it isn't producing fruit and vegetables of astounding quality in fields watered by the nearby Orange River. In June 2010, when much of South Africa were themselves being watered daily by the four-yearly football extravaganza called the World Cup, Uppington was playing host to the Under-16 Grand Como Week, a week for the best under-16 rugby players in the country. As luck would have it, that year's final in Uppington was played between Western Province and the Bulls. Going into the final, the Baby Bulls were pretty bullish, not only in the sense of expecting to win against Western Province, but, well, their pack of forwards were pretty bull-like too. They were captained at loosehead prop by Pierre Skuman, later to find the tartan within and qualify for Scotland, and according to those who were there, sported the biggest pack of young forwards in the competition. As any smart rugby brain will tell you, having a pack of little bulls representing your province is only half the battle. Standing opposite the bulls that day was a young fly half from Paul Gymnasium, 700 kilometres to the south. His name was Andre Pollard, and he was playing for Western Province. He was slap-bang in the middle of his five years at high school that saw him swim and play cricket and get into occasional trouble as a young squire at boarding school. Sitting in the stands watching it all that day was Ian Schwartz, the Bulls' high-performance manager, and Heineke Mayer, who was head of rugby at the Union, having just returned from a brief stint of coaching at Leicester. Schwartz and Mayer were hoping that the young men in the pale blue jerseys would prevail over Andre and his teammates in the white and blue stripes. But they weren't so one-eyed as not to recognize talent when they saw it. It, of course, came along in the form of Pollard, who produced a masterclass that afternoon in turning the baby bulls around so much so that when the 80 minutes were up, their heads were spinning. Quote, Andre was exceptional in that final, remembers Schwartz, who is now SA Rugby's strategic performance manager. I remember turning to Heineke and saying that this young guy had such vision, and Heineke nodded his head and agreed. Andre didn't put a foot roll all afternoon, and Western Province won the final 33-14, scoring four tries to two. Andre was absolutely magnificent. 
Playing directly opposite Pollard that day for the Junior Bulls in Uppington was Altonio Yankees, Elton Yankees's younger brother. Better known as Tony, Yankees wasn't too shabby a player himself. He was so gifted, in fact, that when the IRB Junior World Cup was hosted in the Western Cape two years later, Yankees found himself in the South African under-20 team. Pollard was there too, although he was still at school, chosen said Schwartz because of a couple of late withdrawals through injury. In the baby box first game of the competition against Ireland, Yankees started at fly half. Pollard was on the bench. It was a keenly contested affair, and although Yankees kicked five out of five, it wasn't enough to ensure a South African win. They lost by five points, a loss for which Yankees was deemed partly responsible. With Yankees shifting to the bench, this gave Andre his chance. Pollard started against Italy in the next match, with the baby box winning comfortably in an eight-try romp. The baby box last group game was a tricky match against England, made trickier still by the fact that England had by that stage beaten Ireland, to whom South Africa had lost in their opening game. A win? Are there any similarities to the 2019 or even the 2023 World Cup beginning to emerge was a necessity. Again, Pollard started. South Africa scored four tries to nil in a comprehensive 28-15 victory. Pollard succeeded with all four conversions. He, and not Yankees, who had started against Ireland, was now an established member of the side. Colleagues of Pollard's in the baby box squad in 2012 you may have heard of were Stephen Kutsoff, Peter Stepp de Toy, and Jan Serfontein. Paul Willemser, the gigantic lock later to become a naturalised Frenchman, was also in the side. South Africa swatted off Argentina in the semi-final at Newlands. At Newlands they remained for the final, where they played against the old enemy, the junior All Blacks. New Zealand had lost by the odd penalty to Wales in their round-robin game, but made up for it in the semi-final, where they walloped Wales 36, four tries to nil, to march into the final as the defending champions. True to expectations, as knockout games so often are, the final was nip and tuck. New Zealand led by a point at half-time, with South Africa leading by a point 15 minutes later. With 20 minutes to go, and Willemsa just having been sent off, Pollard potted a gigantic drop kick from about 5 or 6 metres from inside the New Zealand half to make it 17-13 to South Africa. Moments later, Surfentain, who later became a springbok in his own right and one of the players of the tournament, scored a try in the right-hand corner. Although New Zealand grabbed a late penalty, Pollard had shown his big match temperament in front of 33,000 spectators as South Africa held on to a 22-16 win. At this point, Pollard had yet to finish school. I also suspect that he had probably never left the country, although he would see a fair bit of that in the years to come. Watch the video of the match highlights on YouTube and you can begin to detect the development of a Pollard kicking style. Everyone has their approach, their ritual, their sideways squint, a la Owen Farrell, 
at the uprights. In Johnny Wilkinson's case, it was a gathering of hands in the distinctive Wilkinson cradle. Ah, do I know you? Well, um, I'm Johnny's left hand. Pleased to meet you. Pleased to meet you, mate. I'm Johnny's right. Should we shake on it and have a moment? Pollard had his kinks too. In his first kick of the final in 2012, for example, he stuttered. I'm not even sure that it's fair to call what he did a stutter. That might be too comprehensive a description, because what Pollard did was admittedly subtle. It might simply have been a stop, except it was more of a stop-start, a stop to get him started, rather than a stop to bring him to a grinding halt. He set off with the right foot as he approached the ball, and then sort of trailed his left leg along behind him in slow motion, as if it were getting a little heavy for him. This had the effect of slowing him down, of breaking his rhythm, but it also somehow composed him and even made him more upright. It's quite strange to watch, but it's unmistakably there, as unique as a fingerprint or a signature. Whatever little kinks in the Pollard groove you see today, the technique worked terrifically when he was a younger player. His first kick in the 2012 final, which was flush against the touchline, with the posts off to his right as he looked at them, went straight through the middle of the uprights. Not only did it garner three points, but it was the kind of kick that signaled intent. It said, not in a bragging way either, well, here we are, and we're not going home empty-handed. Playing for the baby box while still at school brings with it certain pressures. Girls begin to look at you in the street and giggle when you pass. You, and not your parents, begin to get invited to brise. The media begin to circle. It becomes understandably difficult to focus on trigonometry, or Second World War history, or the reproductive cycle of the caterpillar. In Pollard's case, there was a rumour doing the rounds that he wouldn't be chosen for the Western Province Craven Week team, because he had already signed for the Blue Bulls. It all began to get rather silly. Sooner or later, school sport becomes rather silly. The rumour that Pollard signed anything before his 18th birthday is nonsense, says Schwartz. Having seen Pollard in Uppington, Schwartz bided his time, watching carefully to see how Pollard was progressing in the various weeks and festivals around the country. Schwartz hoped that the Pollard family's original commitment to Andre signing for the Bulls in 2013 would be honoured. It was. Directly after leaving school, from under Western Province's rather sniffy and complacent noses, Pollard, the boy from Paul, the most Cape Town of all Cape Towns, became a bull. With Pollard's arrival at the Union, so Tony Yankees' star began to fade. Andre started to outclass his schoolboy rival. After Pollard took his place at the Junior World Championships after the Ireland opener the previous year, Yankees' role in the tournament was downgraded to late substitutions and afterthoughts. When asked, Schwartz says that Yankees was provided with opportunities but never quite banged the door down. Reading between the lines, the intimation is clear. Pollard was rather good at doing just that, reserving a special knock for the biggest matches of all. In his calm, undemonstrative way, 
Pollard set about impressing Franz Ludeker, who was then the Bulls' senior coach, and Meyer, later to take over from Ludeker and later to become the Springbok coach. Once at the University of Pretoria, otherwise known as Tuckies, Pollard won the Varsity Cup in his first year out of school in 2013. By June of the following year, he had made his debut for the Springboks, playing against Scotland in what was then Port Elizabeth. He was yet to turn 21. Quote, Remember, says Schwartz, he was often playing at inside centre during this period, and I've always thought that held him in good stead. Some guys at fly half aren't always the greatest defensively, but Andre could defend that channel. He's had that experience at centre. Forgive me while I interrupt a sports story to tell you about the Luke Alfred Show Patreon. As you may know, being a writer is not the most lucrative career choice. Please consider making a small donation to keep the show going at patreon.com forward slash the Luke Alfred Show. But for now, let's get back to the story. All of this might suspiciously look like the establishment of a legend. It's as though a kind of hagiography of St. Andre is being written. But it's good to remember there have been inevitable periods of stasis, growth spurts and downs, in a career that we incorrectly think of as kissing the sky from a heady young age. Take his grade 10 year at Paul Gymnasium when he was in the under-16A team. His coach that year was a technical drawing and engineering teacher called Nico Momsen, who had coached the school first 15 for a combined 12 years in two separate periods before that. Momsen and Pollard had a long-standing and extremely civilized tussle throughout that 2010 year about the merits or otherwise of the Long Pass. The Long Pass was Pollard's first love, a darling to whom he wasn't ready to say goodbye. Momsen thought otherwise. He argued that the long pass was vulnerable to the intercept and added that it's easy to drift defend. Whenever Pollard flung out a long one, his heart stopped. Momsen doesn't say who won the debate, but I sense that it might have been Pollard. Or take the following year, 2011, Pollard's first year of first 15 rugby at Pal Gymnasium, for instance. In point of fact, the 2011 season was something of a disaster at the school, so much so that it still inspires tut-tutting in the corridors, hostels and the common rooms. That year they lost to Bishops, Paul Ruiz, Rondebosch, Otaniqua, Afis and Gray College, but the Paul Derby gave them an opportunity to put a different gloss on things. In the interest of narrative symmetry, I'd love to be able to tell you that Pollard, then in grade 11, rescued matters with a 78th-minute penalty, as he was to do in the World Cup semi-final against England 12 years later, but the river of history meandered off elsewhere. In actual fact, the winning points for Pollard's team back in 2011 were scored by Johannes Human, the full-back. At 19-all, he goaled a long-range dropkick, and Paul Gymnasium almost rescued the season with a 22-19 victory. There have been other setbacks and frustrations. Having been in the Uppington stands that hot June day in 2010 with Schwartz, 
Mayer was in a good position to judge Pollard's credentials once he became Springbok coach. Mayer duly picked him for the 2015 Rugby World Cup in England and Wales as understudy to Pat Lambie, who started in the Springboks' opening match against Japan in Brighton. South Africa lost the match 34-32 to an exceptionally late Japan try, and in a sense, it was a loss for which Mayer was never forgiven. Afterwards, Mayer apologised to the nation, admitting that the loss was, quote, unacceptable, which was well-meaning but misguided. In apologising for the Japan loss, Mayer was drawing attention to the very thing he might have been better advised to deal with, but not magnify. It's a fine line. Some judicious pretense has its advantages. Beyond a certain point, you need to ignore things and get on with it, as the 2019 box did after losing their opening World Cup match to the All Blacks. Pollard dodged a bullet, sort of, only playing 22 minutes in the second half against Japan. He replaced Lambie for the next match in the pool stage, the 46-6 victory over Samoa, where he partnered for Reed Dupriere at half-back. Lambie was thrown a consolation eight minutes and didn't in fact come on for Pollard at all, who played the entire game. Instead, Lambie replaced Jean de Villiers for the Samoa game, but by then Mayer had made up his mind. Pollard was now the incumbent. The Stella Dupria, his partner. The two paired up against Scotland and did so again against Wales in the quarter-final, where Pollard scored 18 points and Dupria scored the only Springbok try in a narrow 23-19 win. The Springboks made a fist of it in the semi-final, only losing to the All Blacks by two points, although they were outscored by two tries to nil. They duly won the third-place playoff against Argentina, but the Japan loss, masterminded by the astute Eddie Jones, cast an increasingly ominous shadow. By the end of the year, Mayer had fallen on his sword. Statistics tell us that his win ratio was better than you might think, but against the old enemy, New Zealand, it was disappointing. Under his tenure, the box only beat the blackness once in eight attempts. This might say more about the riches at New Zealand's disposal in the period than it does about comparative book poverty. Still, this is the air fryer in which any Springbok coach sits, and Mayer was duly roasted. So began the wasted years under Mayer's successor, Alistair Kutsia, who lost more games than he won in his 25-game tenure. Having been seen as a schoolboy in the under-16 Grand Como week in Uppington, counted for nothing now, as Kutsia picked Lambie to start at fly-half in his first test in charge, which was against Ireland. Mornay Stain also found himself in the pecking order, as did Tony Yankees' elder brother, Elton. Johan Kuesen, playing at full-back, often did the bock kicking duties, and for perhaps the first time in his international career, Pollard appeared to fall back in the eyes of those who might have picked him. Kutsia's reign was never a happy one. There was a whispering campaign against him, and his employers, SA Rugby, managed the incredible trick of both employing him while simultaneously giving the impression that he never had their full backing. 
Kutsia started off his second full season in 2017 well enough with a home series victory against France, but come September in Albany, New Zealand, the box suffered one of the heaviest defeats in their history. With Elton Yankees and Francois Hochart, the halfbacks, and, strange as it sounds in this age of seer mania, Eben Etzebeth as captain, the Springboks leaked eight all-black tries to lose 57-0. It was a test that had more than a shade of the 53-3 Twickenham debacle against England under Corne Kricher in 2002 about it. Kutsia gave Pollard 20 minutes along with his halfback partner Rudy Page and that remained his run-on role in that season's rugby championship. Elton Yankees was ahead of Pollard on the starting grid with Hogart and Ross Cronier ahead of Page. There was an upside to all of this, however. When Kutsia walked the plank in 2018, Pollard was never tarred by association. New coach Rassi Erasmus liked Pollard's pedigree as planning for the 2019 World Cup began in earnest. Happily for Pollard, the Kutsia experiment also happened between World Cups, so Pollard was, in a sense, free to act on the biggest stage untarnished. World Cups are an abiding theme for Pollard. The Grand Como Week in Uppington, remember, had taken place against the backdrop of the 2010 FIFA World Cup. Pollard played in three Junior World Cups, 2012, 2013 and 2014, before he was 21. There is a sense, given his steel, sense of occasion and nerve, that Pollard was made for World Cups. Perhaps, though, and here's a cheeky thought, the converse is true. Perhaps World Cups and World Cup finals are made for Pollard. John McGrath, the Irish fitness and strength coach and occasional vaudeville strongman, spent time with a Parkham first 15 in Pollard's two years in the side. He was impressed by Pollard's ability to deadlift 200 kilograms off the floor as a 17-year-old schoolboy, but that wasn't all. What impressed him most about Pollard was his sense of occasion. Quote, the great players have it, says McGrath. For want of a better phrase, we can call it big match temperament, and Andre always had it. Come the big day, and you can be absolutely sure that he'd rock up. That sense of occasion partly rested on Pollard's ability as a place kicker. As a junior, there was something staccato, something slightly stop-start to the Pollard approach to the kicking tee. Come the 2019 final in Yokohama against England, the pause was still there but it was far less distinct than it had been in his kicking as a junior in the 2012 Junior World Championships. In Yokohama, he led with his right leg and then, just momentarily, mind you, the motion slowed before gaining pace. His kicking against England in the final four years ago, lest we forget, was immaculate, keeping the Springboks just in front until their late burst of tries. All those years ago, when Schwartz sat in the stands that winter's day in Uppington, he was searching for a comparison as he turned to Mayer to explain who a young Pollard reminded him of. At first, the comparison wouldn't come. He waited a minute or two. Quote, Do you know who this kid really reminds me of, Heineke? He asked after a while. 
Maya turned to him with an inquiring look in his eyes. It's nice, Buerta. Heinecke simply nodded and smiled. Schwartz had nailed it, just like Andre does, time and time again. If you enjoyed this episode of The Luke Alfred Show, please give me a five-star rating. As an independent creator, this podcast is made possible through your support. 